and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Tuesday evening, while the in-season tournament is a raging in the NBA. Joining us from Chicago, Illinois, our Midwest and primarily Chicago Bulls and Milwaukee Bucks, but our Midwest reporter, Jamal Collier. What's up, Jamal? What's up, Brian? How you doing, man? We've had, you bet you've had an interesting day. Joining oh, yeah. us from, from Naples, Florida, our front office insider, who had many interesting days in his career, Bobby Marks. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Good. Um, I was a, it's a little bit early, but uh, we have a report from The Athletic today, guys, that um, I'm not even exactly sure how to frame it, but basically what it sounds like is that the Bulls are willing to start the process of looking at making some moves off their roster, specifically with Zach Levine. To me, it seems like it's the Bulls who are, even though the report implies that it's the other teams that are knocking at the Bulls' door, you know, just can't wait to start Zach Levine talks. It appears to me that it's actually the Bulls who would like to know what Zach Levine's um, value might be. Maybe they trade him. Maybe they don't. Maybe they trade him in December. Maybe they trade him in February. Maybe they trade him next summer. But the process of trading Zach Levine is at least being, you know, begun. And the Bulls, in my view, would probably like to see just what teams might be thinking he's worth right now. Bobby, I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth, Bobby, but um, you've seen situations like this before. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, especially for a player that's got four years and $170 million left and we're in year one of this new collective bargaining agreement where it's not um, appealing to have a $40 million player on your books if he's not your number one guy. I mean, that's that's the reality of the of the situation here. And I think, and certainly Jamal could talk about this, like we're, we're going to get to a point, you know, Chicago going into, um, you know, Tuesday nights, four and seven. Uh, they lost in the play-in last year to Miami, lost in the first round to Milwaukee the year before. It's like eventually you have to pick a direction where you're going here um, because eventually DeMar DeRozan will be a free agent next offseason. I don't know if we'll ever see Lonzo Ball again if we're hoping for that. I don't know if that will ever happen. Um, you have not done a great job drafting. Let's face it, right? Patrick Williams, your lottery pick is now coming off your bench and is shooting 33% from the field um, and down Terry, who you drafted a year ago, I see more press releases about him going back and forth to the G league team. Yeah. And the guy so, that drafted it, Julian Phillips this year can't see the floor. You know, that, yeah, those are so, two pretty big misses, uh, uh, you know, along with Patrick Williams of just like guys who are not helping them at all. Uh, so you, this current so team. you, so uh, you, you've got to eventually pick a, pick a path here. Like, and I think the path is going, it's going to force you it's, the decisions. What not really Levine, just because he has four years left, but some of the other players, like the, the guy on the, on the roster, that's probably got the most value is Alex Crusoe. I mean, that's like the reality of it all here, but um, it will be interesting um, to see what, you know, what, if any, you know, value Levine has out there. I don't, I mean, it's not the two to three first round picks type type deal. And, I think if you're if you're Chicago, I think can you rebuild or retool without like basically tearing it down? Can you do what Indiana has done, where you you moved off of Sabonis 
for Halberton healed and you stayed, you took a step back, but you still had some placeholders there with miles Turner and you were still competitive here. And that's the decision that Chicago is going to have to face here. Uh, you mentioned Indiana and <clears throat> you know, they're kind of just a funny, just example, but, you know, comparison to the bulls, just because, you know, they end up with Halliburton who's in that 2020 draft where the bulls drafted Patrick Williams. And, you know, when you look at the Bulls in that position there, they needed the point guard really badly. They haven't had one for years. If they would have been the team for, and I think Halliburton went at, I think, 11 or 13. I can remember off the top of my head now. But if they would have been the team to grab Halliburton there, just think about how different this franchise could kind of find itself, you know, years years later. But, you know, as far as now in the Levine conversation, I think one thing that is especially prudent is uh, what happened here is Tuesday night as we're talking uh, in Chicago, and that was the Champions Classic college basketball, you know, kind of one of the biggest nights of the year for college basketball, where really representatives, general managers and such from all 30 teams are going to be here in Chicago at the United Center scouting those games and scouting some pretty big high profile games. And I think I would expect with this that report coming out uh, earlier on Tuesday, it's sort of a perfect time for the Bulls to Hmm. (laughs) sort of sort of just you know, there's a lot of people out there that maybe want to connect with the Bulls about that report, about what happened, about sort of what their uh, actual interest is in in moving Zach. So I expect that that would be a hot topic of conversation as the entire league comes on Chicago and the Bulls are sort of playing host uh, unofficially to to that. Yeah, um, Bobby, do you? <laughs> I know it's summer league. Te- you know, there's a lot of actual in face in person meetings where the trade discussions come to fruition maybe it all star but is that a real thing that when everybody gets together that it increases trade talks or is that just something people say i think it's a lot of smoke and mirrors i I mean i think where we are right now is that we're in we're in mid-november and i think teams are still evaluating you know know, the hardest situation was so different than everything else because it was a player that wanted to be traded in philadelphia you know you know basically wanted to move off from him like that, you know, that and Jimmy Butler from when Jimmy got traded from Minnesota to Philly or two unique situation, two unique November type trades. Um, like the teams are still in that evaluation period, that 20 to 25 game evaluation period. Um, you know, we get to mid December when restrictions are lifted on free agents who sign contracts. That's when you start to think, see things heat, heat up a lot um, with that. So I, I don't, yeah, it's great that, you know, you know, 30 teams are in one building here, but I mean, you still got phones, <laughs> you know, like right. if, if Rob Palenka is in LA and, and Arturis Karnishev is in Chicago, you don't need to pick up Zach Levine trade talks if Rob's in the United Center for two games. Well, that's one of the reasons why I think this is the beginning of a process. I don't think Zach Levine is getting traded yeah. tomorrow because Bobby, you educated us on this more than anything, but. Even if the Bulls reach the decision that they want to make a trade for, maybe want to trade Levine, maybe they want to trade DeRozan. I don't know if they want to trade anybody else. A huge a number of players can't be traded until mid-December or mid-January. You know, one of the teams that immediately everyone leaps forward to in a Zach Levine trade is the Lakers. Well, Bobby, how many guys on the Lakers could you even <laughs> trade right now? You could trade LeBron and AD. Actually, could you even trade? No, AD? you can't do AD till February sixth. No. Right. So the Lakers can't functionally like. I don't care if Prime Michael Jordan was available right now. The Lakers couldn't really functionally make a trade, and with a lot of their players not until January, right? 
Yeah, I mean, you're basically looking at Austin Reeves and 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 Rui Hachimura aren't until January 15th. You basically have all the players that you signed. Hey, you've got D'Angelo Russell and um, uh, Gabe Vincent, Torian Prince, players like that. All the players on minimum contracts are December 15th players. But, I mean, you look at a Lakers team that's over luxury tax right now, um, close to the first apron. You know, you got to get within 110% of salaries. Zach Levine makes 40 million. So when you start adding up the numbers, even if we get even if we get to January 15th and a Lakers say, you know what, we want to make a deal. We feel like we need a third star, which I think is counter-argument to how they've built the roster right now, where it's two guys and it's basically a collection of you know role players. You know, how do you get to 36? I mean, you could do it, but it's, it could cost you Austin Reeves, Reeves, Russell whatever to get you there. They've got a, a pick in the, I think 2030, they can move. So it does be presented. It's a challenge here, but as you said, Brian, like, you know, we're in mid November here and trade season really doesn't officially start until um, at least probably mid December. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember over the summer I was talking about Bradley Beal possible trade. And I was, my viewpoint was for the wizards that the return that they were going to get in a Bradley Beal trade was going to be getting off of that contract. Not only the length and the amount, but also the fact that there was a no trade clause. And just the act of getting that contract off of their books was a big part of what they would quote unquote get back. Now they ended up making a maneuver and basically landing Jordan Poole. Uh, you know, it was a return for him. But I don't think it's quite that spot with Zach Levine because he obviously doesn't have a no trade clause, but considering his knee issues historically, and I am a believer in Zach Levine, by the way. Um, I really believed he played well with Team USA in the 21 Olympics, and he, then he had a really good 21-22 season, which is why he got this contract. However, his results on the court, not favorable as to helping a team win. I don't think he's a – Jamal, you don't, I don't think he's like a bad guy, right? I mean, he's not no, I think, that way. I, yeah, people around the team you know, love him, love dealing with him. He's, I think uh, – you know, character-wise, people enjoy being around the guy, especially. Yeah, so do I. I've known <laughs> since he was a rookie or second-year player when he was in Minnesota. I like him a lot. I thought he really fit in well as a supporting member of a team when he was with yeah. Team USA. I don't know, maybe that would work for if he, in, a, in a new spot. But um, I kind of think, um, I kind of think it the, the the amount of money he's owed plus the the knee plus the fact that he hasn't always contributed to winning at the NBA level. I don't think it's quite Bradley Beal level because it's not, there's no, no trade clause, but I'm not sure that the bulls would reap a massive reward for a Levine trade. Um, and that, and I, I think, well, Bobby just said a minute ago, and I, this is something that, uh, that um, Bon Temps said earlier. I mean, he believes that you could, potentially get more return for Alex Caruso than you could get for Zach Levine. And I, I mean, I don't, so, so some people, I think that would be shocking, but you know, you seem to agree with that Jamal. Yeah. I think there's no, almost no question. I mean, think about every contender right now at the top of the standings, Denver, Milwaukee doesn't really have the, the stuff to go get him, but you plug Alex Caruso on Denver. I mean, just think about how that they're already obviously one of the best teams in the league, but how his defensive presence, his three point shooting sort of next to yoga, just, passing and spacing like Caruso could be the guy who sort of 
decides if, if the Bulls decide to move him, he could decide the championship or he could decide which team really is kind of the favorite going into the playoffs. So he's for sure the guy that when you start talking about future first and, and unprotected, like that, that's the guy of trade deadline season that always kind of gets becomes really enticing. But I, I kind of want to go back to what you said about when you think about what Zach's return would be and ultimately why I think, you know, this report, I, I agree with you that I'm not sure the Bulls have you know, maybe actually moved any closer today than they were a week or so ago to to maybe move in being, you know, at least in the imminent future. And I think that the Bulls have had conversations over the offseason or, or I think even before that about just preliminary with teams or talks, right, whatever it is about what Zach Levine's value as such would be. But uh, I've come under the impression with any team, there are people that have talked to the Bulls uh, that have been a part of those talks. It's kind of one of those where the axing price is the, the price on the player is so high that teams wonder, well, how available is this guy really? And I think the Bulls, four and seven, and we can all see it exactly why this team, after two or three years here, is, is sort of on a path to nowhere. Um, you know, at least publicly right now, they are still touting, they're sort of playing all the hits about how they think Zach and DeMar, <laughs> who are both off to really poor shooting starts, you know, and they want to kind of see how those things stabilize. They want to, you know, they, still believe that their team is better than they've shown. And I think that, you know, as you guys mentioned it, they still do have a month before, you know, December 15th hits anyways, and, and other guys can be traded. Like they still have some time to see what that, what this version of this team plays out. And, you know, they've been pretty steadfast, obviously throughout the past year or two years, really now people sort of wondering when the, when the end of this Bulls team as currently constructed, when it's coming, They've stuck to their guns. And I think that uh, until I see drastically otherwise, their message change on that, kind of have no choice but to believe these guys because they have, every moment it seems like it, the trade is going to come at the deadline or the offseason or something drastically is coming. Um, they have not made that move. And I'd be interested to see how bad this has to get for the Bulls to really start thinking about radically rethinking this team. Well, here's, here's you know, they've got, their next four games are home. They've got the two yeah. my the two Florida teams. Basically, it's a baseball, almost like a baseball series. You got Orlando yeah. twice and Miami twice. I mean, that's and then you then you go on the road and you got OKC, Toronto, Boston, uh, Brooklyn, Boston, Milwaukee home. That gets you to Mil December first. Milwaukee, uh, I'm sorry, Miami uh, won tonight uh, in the in season tournament, and they um, um, six in a row now. I think for the Heat. Yeah, so I I think this is something to monitor. I don't think it's like red hot. I I think it's more interesting if the Bulls are willing to move DeRozan and Caruso than it is that they're moving Levine. I think I don't think they would have hung up the phone on on anybody calling on Levine for basically the last nine months. Hundred percent. So um, well, I, I think Brian I, with with DeRozan, I think December thirtieth is a day to kind of circle a little bit here because. You know, once you get past that date, then what he could be eligible from an extension standpoint basically gets shrunk in half, probably more than half, because um, he's limited to only two years, like sixty million, compared to um, you know, like three for one thirty because of the you know the restriction rules for players traded here. Of course, that team inherits his bird rights. You can sign him outright as a free agent, but. Um, you do run the risk a little bit once you get past December 30th. You don't have as much leverage as as you did beforehand. Yeah, but I mean, 
the situation is this, Jamal. Like, let's say they win three of the next four games and they're, you know, seven and eight. Yeah. Their situation is not changing. Like, I don't, I don't, I could be wrong. I don't see them like with the way this team is constructed with where they're at. I don't see them like taking off and winning 18 to 20 and like competing for the top four. You know? I agree with you. Um, but I also think that, you know, I think half the league are just kind of look the standings and everybody's kind of five and four four and six, you know, somewhere a lot of you know, some teams that have sort of separated from there, a couple at the top, but I'm not sure they're going to be, I don't know say I'm not sure. There definitely could be a world where they sort of really, really, you know, really bottom out the next month. But we saw it last year, the first half of last year, where this team really looked like that they were just going to sort of not even be in the play in uh, on the outside, looking in sort of being toward the bottom of the East. And they rode the wave, stabilized in the second half you know, started start playing out Caruso more because he's the one guy that when they put him on the floor, they have success. <laughs> uh, and, you know, all the things they went you know, 14 and nine after the break and, and ended up making the play in. I, I'm just, I, I think more, you know, yes, I think it would be a drastic turnaround for them all of a sudden to be a top four or so team. But if these guys hang around 500 or DeMar all of a sudden goes on another hot run, uh, and, and can carry them for a couple of weeks. I think that these, the decision makers and the, the team, the way they have operated, they will be inclined to say, we're going to wait this thing out and see if we can, you know, again, I'm sort of unclear of what the actual goal <laughs> of what this team will do, but I, I do think that this team. Well, will yeah, be I a, mean, look, I've, I've said that on this, I've said that on this yeah. podcast. I mean, like, I, I don't think they're going anywhere. And I think yeah. if they think they're going somewhere, they're deluding themselves. And, you know, I guess, you know, maybe they go 15 and five in the month of December and this could be thrown back in my face. And I suppose it can be, but I think they're deluding themselves. They think this roster, the way it's constructed is going anywhere. Well, Brian, just look at, just look at, I mean, I know I I hate going back to when Monza got hurt, but I mean, just look at, I mean, like, look at the body of work, 19 and 23 since his injury that, that, that first year, 40 and 42 last year and four and seven right now. And I get, and what Jamal said, they were really good after the all-star break there. I think they were first in defensive efficiency and, you know, Patrick Beverly yeah. played a big role in that. Certainly, you know, Beverly Caruso, Levine, DeRozan and Vooch, you know, that's, that was you know, the five you rolled out. And now we're kind of back to, you went out and got Javon Carter, who's probably been your best, one of your better players, at least coming off the bench, Kobe white, fine Vooch. You, you signed to, to $60 million, Tory Craig, you know, like it's like the, the the big the guys you wanted to go out and get because you were basically ranked in the bottom in in three point percentage and you felt like that that was where you had to kind of change your offense. Like yeah. they're still in the bottom ten. Like that's the reality of it. Like things, I don't know how things are going to change all of a sudden um, unless the, unless there's a soft part of their schedule and there's some injuries down yeah, the road from not. some other teams here. I just. That's like you, as I said, you ha- like either you, you pick a direction now or the, what happens in this league is the league forces you to pick a direction because eventually yeah. like the Rosen is the big wild card because he's a free agent next year. Like yeah. you can't just go and say, you know what, we're just going to play it out. And the Mar DeRozan leaves for nothing because it's not like you're sitting on $50 million in cap space. Like the only way you are a, uh, and you know we we can say all well, we want about cap space. The only way you're a cap space team next year is if you if, if it's determined that Lonzo Ball can never play again. So you know, hey, that's you know this was a team that they've built 
back in 2021. And change is hard. Like change is hard when you're in a front office to try to pivot from what you're doing. But man, you stay kind of on that, that mediocrity treadmill and treadmill mediocrity, it, you they'll run you off it. For sure. Um, all right. So to be, you know, definitely pretty interesting, Jamal, and I appreciate your insight. Uh, we're going to be talking about that to be continued. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. Before we move on to the other team that you cover, the Milwaukee Bucks, we had an incident tonight in Golden State with the uh, Timberwolves. By the way, it's a little bit interesting that some of these in-season tournament games are coming as part of baseball series where the team will play and then two days later they'll they'll play the two teams will play the same team in the same venue but it counts as the in-season tournament. Um, that's happened in a couple of instances this week. That happened I believe in this game because the Timberwolves played the Warriors on Sunday, then the Timberwolves played the Warriors tonight. There was some barking in that game between Draymond Green and Anthony Edwards, you know, Draymond just being Draymond, you know, you know, talking trash at Anthony uh, Ant coming back and, you know, answering with some incredible play. The Warriors won that game. Ant had 33 points. Well, tonight there was, and I, and I wasn't able to watch the buildup to it, but Clay Thompson and Jaden McDaniels got into it uh, at center court. Rudy Gobert came in and I, different people will oh, wow. disagree. Yeah. It, it just happened a few minutes ago. <laughs> Different people will, will disagree as to what Rudy was doing there. Some people may say he was ganging up on Clay Thompson. Some people might say he was trying to break it up. By the time this podcast will come out, there will be a slate of interviews. So we're kind of reacting to this in real time. But what happened that is most interesting is that as Rudy Gobert was entering into the situation, I mean, he had his hands on Clay Thompson. But, uh, Draymond Green flew in from out of the scrum and basically put Rudy Gobert into a chokehold. He like grabbed him around the neck with his arm and like was dragging him backwards with Rudy's hands flailing around. And Jaden McDaniels and Clay Thompson were ejected from the game and Draymond Green was issued a flagrant two and ejected. By the way, this will be the 18th time and the second time in a week that Draymond has been ejected from a game. It was already a challenging day for the Warriors, Bobby, because Steph Curry uh, has come down with a knee sprain and he's getting an MRI and they're going to see what's going on there. If this team loses Steph for any appreciable amount of time, uh, I don't think they will stay above water, but I suspect that they will be headed for potentially reviewing what happened with Draymond here. Draymond has feuds with like 11 different players. And quite frankly, I need a file. I need like a briefing to about which, you know, to remind me of all the feuds. Um, but his feud with Gobert includes like warring for the player, defensive player of the year stuff. And there was that um, whole insecurity is always loud back and forth tweets um, several months apart and other various things. But basically Draymond and Gobert don't like each other. And Draymond did that tweet after Gobert punched who did he punch, Bobby? I forget. Kyle the Anderson? The, was it Kyle Anderson? All right, Ky, right, Kyle Anderson. He punched Kyle Anderson, and they didn't take him to the play-in game. And, you know, that's when Draymond, you know, tweeted insecurity is loud, et cetera. But, you know, Draymond has been 
you know, probably itching to put Rudy Gobert in a chokehold for some time, whether it's figuratively or literally. And the video on this is crazy. He like flies in from out of nowhere and just, you know, so uh, I don't know what you think is going to happen there, Bobby, but that's a little bit of an interesting development here uh, in, uh, in, in season tournament action. Well, if we go by the guidelines and we look at that prior history is taken into strong account that the league says, then I think we'll, we will see a suspension for, for Draymond Green. It's, it's, it's interesting. Um, Vince Goodwill of the, uh, of Yahoo wrote an article about, you know, taunting, you know, and he got and Monty McCutcheon talked about it and Monty, you know, said that, you know, taunting can lead to fights and all that stuff. Now I'm thinking, well, you know, we, we the league's probably going to look at it a different in a different way now. When we do these baseball series, maybe we maybe it's not a good idea to have a game, a regular season game before the play-in game because this thing probably was brewing from the other night. You know, the you know, Minnesota goes into Golden State and beats them, and it's basically like a it's a playoff series, right? It's like game two of the playoffs here. Now that right. now Golden State's coming in yeah. with a chip on their shoulder, trying to set the tone here, and and here we go. By the way, we had a situation like this. Philly, Indiana. Indiana played against Philly on Sunday. Maxi puts up 50 and B puts up 37. They dance around on him, not necessarily showing him up, but you know, they have a big time game. Tyrese Halliburton comes back with 33 points, 15 assists, no turnovers. And the Pacers win even the series at one, one wins game three, Bobby. Um, <laughs> but well, uh, that Indiana, happens tonight. If you, if you had Indiana in your bingo card for a playing um yeah. for a, a um in-season tournament one of the four representing the east you know you might be you might be in pretty good shape there i don't think we're going to get this kind of juice uh and that bulls magic back to back this week for me but you know never know now i got some something to look forward to yeah well <laughs> so that'll definitely be a topic of conversation tomorrow uh, it'll be interesting to see if draymond talks to the media after the game i don't know if they'll let him but i I'll be interested to see if he plays the victim card because he likes to do that. But <laughs> I don't know how what his defense is going to be here because he inserted himself into an all he escalated the situation. Yeah, where does he even where does he even fly? I'm trying to I was trying to find Draymond's like forge like where does he fly in from? You need to <laughs> activate <laughs> Hawkeye. You need to activate Second Spectrum to watch him because the the, the altercation. Like I said, I don't I don't have the you know what the buildup was to the exact play, but but Jaden McDaniels and Clay got into it, and yeah. you know I don't think either of them have a reputation for being instigators. But Draymond, you know, you know, uh, it is interesting that Gobert stayed in the game when they reviewed it. They didn't deem that he instigated whatever he was doing as he put his well, hands he, on. He's right. He's right behind these two guys. If they, you know, start getting right. He didn't and, like you know, run, least, you know, 30 feet to get the length of the court. I mean, like Draymond came in like a, you know, a wrestler coming, you know, from the, stage, yeah. <laughs> you know, coming off, coming, running down the stage. He was at the ultimate warrior. The Like Draymond yeah. came in like the ultimate warrior there. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he had him in a grade eight chokehold. I assume if you've listened this far, you've already seen it. You've already seen it. So we won't talk more about it. But um, uh, I would tend to agree with you, Bobby, that he's probably looking at a suspension. I also will say that whenever a player faces a suspension, there's an instantaneous reaction from people. That's three games. That's 11 games. That's 37 games. It's never, it's never, you know, reactionary in the NBA. Uh, so. Uh, he may merit well, suspension. Yeah, I mean that's you. That's a great. That's a great point too. And it's like 
it's you know there's certain you know you had a lot of different people who were in charge of basketball operations at the nba at one point you know certainly rod thorne and kiki vandaway and now we've got joe dumars and everybody kind of like if you're thinking well this guy got two games for doing that same thing i think you're going to be you're going to be wrong as far as what the suspension is going to be because the league looks at it i mean it's it's basically they're opening up a like police investigation after the game right there'll be a full investigation and as i said like what green's prior history will come what it, i mean it has in the past and it, it will probably again in in this case well the, the 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 situation is that like there's gonna be just because he had him around the neck and he did drag him i don't know 10 15 feet i'm not sure but he he did drag him and it there's some there's some footage that just is not great it just looks really really bad and it's going to be one of those things that is going to be shown outside nba circles it's going to be on good morning america it's going to be it's going to be on you know other non-sports shows and so you know the league may face a little bit of scrutiny on this one but i don't know i'm sure we'll be talking about that with bon Tempson mcmahon when we talk uh, on thursday all right uh, to be continued on that one uh jamal the other team that you spend a lot of time uh, covering the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, not playing tonight. Have won a couple of games in a row now that Dame Lillard came back from that uh, that leg injury. They are a team that we've talked about on the pod quite a bit because their record is not awful at six and four, but their some of the things about their team are worrisome, particularly their defense. You have covered Milwaukee very closely for the last three years. What has been your impression of the way that this team that was really figured to be like a juggernaut has started this season? Just a lot of weirdness all around. I mean, I think one, you hit it right there, the defense uh, being not, you're so used to that just being kind of the staple with Milwaukee that they are going to defend. They're going to be up near the top of the league and under, under Bud, they were for so many years. And, I was under the impression that even though they had, you know, moved Drew Holiday, you still have Giannis, you still have Brook Lopez, and that unit is going to still be a strength for these guys. Uh, and it just hasn't. I mean, I think that they thought bringing Dame into their sort of defensive culture, their their defensive presence and such, right, was going to almost like by osmosis make him a better defender or make him, uh, you know, sort of more equipped on that end. And, and that has just not been the case. Uh, and really just not even just on Dame, like their entire perimeter defense is just, you know, between Malik and I think, you know, Middleton not playing uh, really any kind of, you know, any kind of full complement of minutes also hurts them because they just, you know, at that end have just not been effective at all. Uh, I think there's some some weirdness, to say the least, or at least like not necessarily a smooth start with their head coach, um, you know, Adrian Griffin. And, and it's, you know, 10 games in his career, I think, just talking to players last night, sort of just about or the other night uh, after their game, just about Griffin. And I think that that was sort of the theme about it uh, in general. It's just like it's 10 games in, he still hasn't sort of really formed what his identity and his his how he wants to approach things as a head coach all the way yet and i think that like for the bucks right now that's sort of been their rallying cry is that even though all these things dame is also not shooting the ball very well at all 27 percent from three <clears throat> and, you know uh, you know talk to dame about that and as a matter of fact in the locker room after that chicago game on 
on Monday night. And, uh, you know, he kind of was admitted that really he felt like he's still getting his legs and, and everything under him. He didn't play, didn't really, didn't play any basketball, any pickup basketball at all uh, in the offseason in late in September when he normally starts sort of getting back into game shape because of from the trade uh, hanging over his head. And I think that um, he still doesn't feel all the way back to where he'd like to be, a, a, you know, or normally is at this point in this season. Um, so I think for the Bucks, the thing that they're hanging their hat on right now is that the fact that they have been able to still win some of these games, like, you know, despite all the things going on, you can look up and be, you know, three and seven or, or whatever it is. And the fact that they do have a record of 500. Um, there was a stat that they didn't, uh, I think their first six or seven games, they didn't cover in any of the first six or seven games. Which, I think they're 0 for 9 still. Okay, well, they've played 10 games. So I don't know if they yeah. covered, but but that's an indication of a team. Like, look, I'm not, I don't really care about the betting lines, but I think that's an indication of a team that is underachieving. And for the fact that, they, you know, that they didn't cover, because I think, didn't they start, they started 5 and 2. Does that sound right? No. 5 and 2, yeah. <laughs> 5 is and it? 2. Okay. Yeah. And then they lost in, at Indiana. Okay. So Jackson tells us they're yes, one yes. eight and they're one eight and one against the spread. There it is. And I think they went oh six and one in their first seven games and were five and two, which is an indication that maybe they were fortunate to be five and two. Yeah. You know, and I know that they skated on a game or two. Um where where they could have gone either way and they and they got it off of it. But like, you know, last year. You know, they were the number one overall seed. I have to go look at their net rating. But last year, you know, they were pretty impressive from start to finish. And so, look, I'm, I know that Chris Middleton has not played that much. Um, and, you know, I know that, you know, they missed some games. And now they've, you know, got injuries to their wing, their wing players, particularly Jay Crowder, who's out two months with a torn adductor muscle, which just sounds very painful. Um, and he had been really surgery. good for them. You know, he they can't, they got him in the trade last, you know, offseason after the whole thing kind of went down in Phoenix, the last trade deadline. Uh, and he really never took off at all last year, but he had transformed into really a key piece. I mean, Adrian Griffin was pretty much their sixth man off the bench. I mean, Bobby's kind of their unofficial first guy off the bench. But, uh, you know, they were really relying on Crowder pretty, pretty heavily early in the season. That's going to hurt them. Yeah, so, I mean... Look, they could win nine. They could win nine in a row. I'm not, you know, super, you know, focused on it. But they are underachieving. Yeah, like I think that's I'm, a fair thing to say. I'm surprised that Dame and Giannis have not. That transition has not looked as smoothly as you would have thought. You know, the defense I think is one thing, and they've certainly been even worse than everybody anticipated. But you know, offensively, you thought they would be just like a juggernaut with those two, and and so far, not really. Well, I think there was an assumption, Bobby, that their that the pick and roll was a can't miss situation. But I will say that both Dame and Giannis are used to being the front end of that pick and roll, being the yeah. control end of that pick and roll. I'm not sure Giannis is when Giannis thinks about the pick and roll with Dame. I'm not so sure he's thinking about setting forty screens. Um, you know, so I, you know, I still think it's going to work because I think their talent is very compatible, but, 
you know, I, I do think it does require Giannis to play a, a style that he's not quite familiar with, and that may be a factor too. Well, I mean, I think, you know, one in three on the road so far, um, given a ton of points. I think four out of your next five are on the road, but you've got, I mean, Toronto is going to be interesting. They go up to, um, they go up to Toronto on, um, on Wednesday. You had just gone up there a week ago, I think got your doors blown off and then you're in Charlotte home for Dallas at Washington at Boston. So you, yeah, you could, you could run off four or five or five, you know, potentially five, you know, five in a row um, there. It's going to be interesting. The, the Crowder injury is going to force some of their younger players to grow up pretty quick. <laughs> Whether it be you know Marjan Bochamp, who's played you know pretty significant bench minutes, or Andre Jackson, their um, second round pick from um, from UConn here, because that you know they made a concerted effort to go out and and get Jackson, um, Chris Livingston, you know guys, you know those younger um, development players here. I mean, you still have, you know Pat Connaughton, but you know what happens when Middleton rests? You know, you know that that's the key. Like I always thought, like as Getting Lillard and the the Giannis combination and kind of figuring that out, that was important. But what you get from Middleton is like was always going to be the X factor. And and certainly how it's gone so far is that they they are easing him in, whether it be on a minutes restriction. You know, they're, they're, the days of Chris Middleton playing 35 minutes is, you know, it's it's that's going to be, you know, certainly not right now. And you lose a guy that can give you, you know, 20, 25 points you know, from that. Yeah. I mean, I think yes. if anything like this is, this is highlighted, uh, this start for them is like you said, highlighted just how important Chris is going to be for them going forward because of this level of production. And obviously, you know, maybe he'll get to a point of, you know, to, to play more minutes. And again, they all keep assisting, you know, the team Middleton himself insisting that he's healthy and this is the plan. And, you know, they want to ease him into it and, and have him for later in the season. Uh, but, they just simply need more from Middleton. He said, you know, this level of production is not going to be good enough if they're going to be one of the top teams in the East. Bobby, are you surprised that they haven't hired a replacement assistant coach for Terry Stotts? Yeah, yes and no. I mean, I think Joe Prunty, who's now basically been, I guess, bumped up to number one, you know, was there before, was the interim coach after Jason Kidd had gotten let go. You know, certainly was the interim coach in Atlanta also after um, after Nate got let go last year. Uh, was it last year? Last year. So it, you know, it's I could, you know, I think you're com- if you're comfortable with Joe as your number one veteran guy, then that's that's fine. But I think the, the Terry Stotts leaving was big just because of the relationship with Lillard from Portland and already having a comfort level there. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, that's a big void. By the way, there was just a mild Donnie Brook in Los Angeles uh, between uh, Anthony Davis and Desmond. I tell Day. you, what, I got the wrong game. On. I, I, I'm watching I'm Clips n- Denver. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one for. I'm o for o for whatever. There's nothing. Listen, man, this hey. in season tournament, the blood's running hot. Maybe well, this is what the NBA wants. They want. Well, I know we're not talking Clips, but it feels like the Clippers are on game eighty right now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know yeah, if it's that I'm, mile air, mile high, uh, you know, altitude up there, but they, uh, oof, man, yeah. that's well, another, another day. We'll see what happens with that one. That's, uh, it's nuggets are up by 10 as we speak. Yeah. I just, uh, you know, look, we're 10 or 11, 12 games into the season. 
know, there's a few teams that are underperforming. You know, the, the Cavs, for example, they're four and six. They've had some injury issues and some stuff. Uh, the Suns are four and six, obviously, some injury issues. So, like, I don't want to look at the Bucks and be like, oh, man, what a, you know, boy, they're really, you know, having some real problems there. They're just underachieving. And um, yep. I, I think it's, it's definitely bears watching, especially when you have a rookie head coach. Uh, yep. When you have a rookie head coach yeah, we, who's having to deal with that, it's, it's a factor. Listen, we, they, we uh, went. I'm sorry, Jamal, go ahead. Well, just that I'm going to say Giannis said it after the game last, you know, the other night, and I think that it, it's, it's kind of just to sum it up for them. They, they, they're trying to figure out what their identity is. You know, for years, they, but that identity was really well-defined, and the defense with Drew and Brooke kind of at the point of attack and at the rim. Um, you know, it was very obviously Giannis played a big role in that, but like there was a very clear identity of how they want to play and what they want to do every single night. And because the Dame trade happened a week before training camp, because they have a first year head coach, because they have so many kind of different parts and pieces, I do think that they're on the fly figuring out still what ultimately what kind of team do we want to be. And their DNA is telling them that they want to be this defensive juggernaut that I'm not sure that they're playing their roster right now is going to be able to actually live up to. I mean, I, I just look back to, you know, in, in Brooklyn, when we had hired Jason Kidd as a rookie head coach, I mean, Jason didn't even Adrian was on a bench. Jason wasn't. And you basically like, here you go. Here's your, here's your hall of fame quote unquote team. And they didn't figure it out until Joe Johnson hit a shot in Oklahoma city right after new year's day. And the only reason why we we figured it out is because Brooke Lopez broke his foot in Philadelphia, and we right. were forced to put Garnett at center. <laughs> I mean, That's right, and Pierce at the he, four. <laughs> he had to go small. He had to go small, and it ended up working out for him. Yeah. Which, by the way, it worked. That that uh, mode works so well to hire Jason Kidd with no coaching experience that the Nets, with their next iteration of a super team uh, with a bunch of Hall of Famers, hired Steve Nash <laughs> with no coaching experience. <laughs> Um, this is the NBA. Uh, gotta love it. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. Before we go, Bobby, you and Kevin Pelton are doing um, a series of rankings of rookies and their performance uh, throughout the season. The first batch of those results, you're basically ranking the rookies. Am I correct in saying that? We are. Well, uh, the first article is coming out on Thursday. Um, we're it's kind of a like an intro to what we're doing. We do have rankings kind of on the tail end, but we, of course, there's a big deep dive into Chet and where Victor is right now. Um, you know, I think both of us agree that Chet is probably, if we were voting rookie of the year after ten games, which doesn't happen, probably Chet is probably a little bit of ahead. And but I think. I, I think there is, um, you know, I understand the rules of a player who misses a year and is still eligible for rookie of the year, but, you know, Chet's got a big advantage over Victor from last year, I think. Um, I know he didn't play, but I think just being with that Oklahoma City team, being able to see all 30 teams up close and personal, basically he's got a, a scouting report in his, in his head, and there was little roster turnover to this Thunder team. They basically only added three new players that he could, as I wrote in it, like basically he could visualize as far as where, where he likes the ball, where he likes, where he likes to be the comfort level where with Victor it's, you know, I think pop said, it's basically like, this is a trial and error year. And then we're going to basically kind of figure out how to, 
you know, figure every figure out how to, you know, evolve the offense around him, especially there's, you know, um, you know, the point guard situation with Sohan as far as who's, you know, running the show. And so, yeah, so we do a, a big deep dive into those two guys. And it's funny, you know, both of them played Tuesday night and it was, it was hmm. like basically watching like Rocky seven, right? Like the, the seven, <laughs> like it was like, yeah, oh my God, we could have just ended after Rocky three or Rocky four. And so, <laughs> you know, they both certainly struggled, um, which is to, to their, their rookies. Um, but Kevin had texted me because we have Asar Thompson, number three on our rookie rankings. And he tongue in cheek said, anyway, we can change the article and put a SAR number one who is played, you know, at a, I mean, that guy gets three rebounds walking out to the jump ball at center court. He had nine nine midway through the first quarter the other night against, and I mean, the Bulls missed eight shots in a row to start the game off. So it was pretty easy to just grab him, but uh, it was just incredible. Well, he had, I mean, we, in one of the stats I have, he had 13 steals and 19 blocks in his first 10 games, the most since Marcus Camby's in 96, 97, he had four blocks against Phoenix, although they, they are the Fred Van Vliet type blocks where they're strips, not, you know, not full. There are two of them are strips Two were, you know, um, were, were blocks here. Um, you know, it's, you know, and his teammate Marcus Sasser has played at a high level. Now here's the thing that's going to be interesting with Jaden Ivy back and you're now you're trying to integrate Ivy into the rotation. Sasser plays eight minutes in their loss to Atlanta. Um, and we have him fourth on our, um, on our rookie rankings here, but yeah, I mean, we go into a deep dive. I mean, you know, certainly scoot. I wonder if the Pistons have any interest in uh, Zach Levine, Jamal. <laughs> I said, I wonder, okay. Just to be okay, clear. I, just, I wonder. <laughs> Doing the trade. Uh, I'm sorry, the, sorry, the, Bobby. The I, I didn't mean to. Uh, Jamal's doing to... math in his head. He's trying I'm, to think. One hundred and twenty-five percent within. Who is on? <laughs> Bo. I mean, Bo-yan, legit. Um... Yeah. They have guys. <laughs> How do we that get the numbers? Money. <laughs> um. But that's the other thing about the stars. The Pistons are awful. <laughs> They're awful. <laughs> uh, yeah. And you know who's? You know who else has been awful? Is the Spurs. And that's the thing. So. Uh, so this is the first, you know, Tuesday night's the first Victor Chet game. I went to the preseason game that they played um, uh, in October, and it was absolutely amazing. I talked about it on the pod. Like, you know, they both scored 20 points in the first half. They were both one-upping each other. It was like, holy Moses. You know, they had this, um, you know, high is, is high profile of as, as a junior game has ever been when they play each other in the world cup final uh, a couple years ago. So I wrote this big story for ESPN today about like their potential rivalry. And I understand that um, it's really hard to project rivalries. You can't just, especially in the NBA, you can't just declare this is going to be a rivalry. You know, it's unwise to do that, but you know, these guys, you know, one plays in Oklahoma city, one plays in San Antonio. They both have similar style games, you know, both rookies. Um, you know, they also have a have an edge to the way they play, and I've felt that they have an edge towards the way they play against each other. Not that it's like hatred or anything, although maybe down the line. But I think that both of them are acutely aware of what the other one can do, and you know how they're linked. Um, so I get all excited about this game tonight. I thought TNT was really smart for putting this one on national television. 
Um, I think the second meeting between the two teams is uh, is in January, I think is also on national TV. Um, but anyway, Wemby goes four of 15 in this game, scores eight points. Um, and he did have 14 rebounds. And Holmgren wasn't much better. He went three of 10, had nine points. Neither of them cracked 10 points. It's a 40-point game. I think it ended up being a 35-point spread. It was a 40-point game. And TNT ended up checking out of it and putting on other games. So not the greatest first meeting for the two of them on national TV. Oh, well, I stand by what I said. I, I, I like, I mean, I'll just go back just cause I was there. I mean, there's been a bunch of different guys who have been, you know, ticketed to be rivals, but I'll just go back to when I was there, like the fourth or fifth game of LeBron's rookie year, his first home game, he plays Carmelo in uh you know and it was you know made for tv matchup carmelo lebron and lebron was absolutely horrible in that game i think he had five or seven points three of 15 or something carmelo was okay he was better than lebron um but he wasn't anything special and the hero of the game was earl boykins who was (laughs) five five and it was hard and it was you know i I think it was he was tnt i think it was tnt and much bigger buildup than this, and it was you know basically a dud. And yeah. uh, well, Shay Shay, the hero of this game, at least is no Earl Boykins. Uh, <laughs> no, no, that's true. <laughs> my favorite uh, the sport sports center tweeted the uh, the photo of it, but the jump ball between Victor and Chet, and it's just it just arms. <laughs> it's just so so much arms. I mean, just for you know a, a lanky guy growing up too i wish i could have seen this matchup on my television growing well up. our former colleague um royce young who is now a thunder employee of course had to quote tweet that and say that although victor is taller than chet um chet's um vertical is higher and that they're basically even as far as from a size standpoint here so yeah well here's the thing like chet has a big belief in himself and Victor has a big belief in himself and their teams can try to downplay however they want the two of them. I'm telling you, having seen with my own two eyes and knowing a little bit about these guys, I don't know if it'll mature. There's a lot of um, stuff that has to happen for it to work, but it's as exciting as a, a rivalry as we've seen in a long time, in my opinion. And by the way, Asar Thompson tonight, 21 points, eight rebounds, five assists, and three steals uh, against the Hawks for the Pistons, which I think they lost. <laughs> um, uh, because that's just kind of the way it goes. The, 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 the Pistons have all these really interesting young players, and all they do is lose. <laughs> They're 2-10. and ten. Um, <laughs> But the Spurs are getting boat raced right now. Uh, not not just tonight, but like they're... they're and, and and Victor is in a pretty significant shooting slump. Uh, I think his last five games, he shot under 40%. He might even, I haven't run the numbers because he was four of 15 tonight, but I think he might even be like around 33% the last five games. Um, really having a hard time with his shot, which is kind of more what I expected from him um, after seeing him in summer league. And then he was really good in, in preseason and then like lit the world on fire in his first five games so he has come back to earth a little bit chet coming into this week was shooting 50 50 90 <laughs> i didn't expect the 50 percent three-point shooting to last but uh but but yeah asar thompson bobby you, you the rankings are set but asar i'm sure the pistons fans are gonna have something to say when they come out on thursday 
Well, these are month to month rankings, so a lot can change <laughs> in the month of, of December. But I think it's you know it's you know real quick. I mean, it is interesting that some of the players that were drafted in the twenties, whether it be Jaime Jaquez in Miami or Julian Strouder in Denver, the the teams that you know, we talked about it a lot in June teams that didn't have much of a budget and were forced to draft these older players because, you know, they didn't have the mid-level exception to go out and sign players in free agency are now contributing, you know, um, you know, Jaime had 21, I think in the win against, um, against Charlotte here for a Miami team that's played, I think they've won six in a row. Um, uh, Strouder had a 21 point game a week ago, um, in uh, in a Denver win here, and you're starting to see you know contributions from guys like that who are a little bit older and guys who were picked in the 20s. Maybe their upside is not higher than some some of the Brandon Millers and the Scoot Hendersons of the world, but can come in and play at a high level right now. Yeah, and um, you know I think that's one of the things where you you know I got this lecture when I was a young kid in the NBA that. You know, you always have to, you know, when you draft, you always have to draft for the highest upside, the highest potential, you know, which is why you don't see a lot of four-year guys get drafted. But sometimes four-year guys can come in and really make a big impact, you know, and Dame Lillard was one of those guys, you know. So I look forward to reading that because, um, you know, the the rookie the, the rookie class, this rookie class, including Holmgren, it's a potential to be a really interesting rookie of the year race. You know, the thing about the LeBron year, you know, LeBron and, and Mello were relatively close in rookie of the year voting and LeBron won it. And it wasn't like by five votes. I mean, he won it with a little bit of airspace, but it was close because Mello's team was so much better. got to the playoffs. And so, um, you know, if you're arguing for a fact, why Chet may be ahead of everybody is that, you know, I don't think the Spurs and the and the Pistons are looking like playoff teams, whereas the the Thunder are. So I don't know if that's a factor for you, Bobby, but that is something that could end up being a be a play out as uh, as this race you know heats up over the next few months. Yeah, I mean, especially when you know Oklahoma City will will maybe pick up more national TV games and they'll they'll be more relevant than where probably where you know when we get past January first, you know, San Antonio becomes you know less probably less relevant here. Well, I would advise, um, speaking of national TV games, I would advise everybody to take a look at picking up some Pacers games because uh, they snapped the, we mentioned earlier, they snapped the 76ers eight-game win streak tonight in Philly. Um, I did a piece over the summer in Manila during the World Cup because Tyrese Halliburton has yet to appear on TNT. And... um, Cause he was with the sit with the Kings when they, before they were any good. And then he was been with the Pacers and they haven't been a draw in a small market. And um, this year, the Pacers got one TNT game and it's like January 23rd or something like that. And I asked him about it and he knew the date like that. He's like January 23rd. And I was like, geez, Tyrese, like um, you really know off the top of your head, like what day you're going to be on. TNT like you for your first time it's like that big of a deal and he's like um well it's my girlfriend's birthday so I remembered that I was like okay but I think he'd only been on ESPN I think he's only on ESPN like a couple of times so well, um, maybe 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 the next one will be December 7th on TNT in Vegas is- Oh, <laughs> very good neither, neither very one of us good. Well, they are 2 and 0 oh. 
in group yeah. whatever. I don't know which. Uh, they are in the driver's seat, having beaten the Cavs and uh, Philly already in that in that pod in that group. So the they are in excellent about- position to advance to the to the quarterfinals. Anybody who hasn't watched the Patriots game yet that, that may want us to tune in after hearing this, you're going to see a lot of points on both ends. They're going to give up a whole lot, but they, you know, I think it's the seven straight game they score at least 130 points or something um, like that. They are, they are, they play uh, super right fast. Now. Yeah, they yeah. play super, super fast. <laughs> um, they are the number one offense. I don't know where they rank in defense at this moment, but they play super fast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the thing about Halliburton that's so impressive is he hasn't been turning the ball over. He's got like, you know, I don't, let me see what his last few games are in the assist to turnover. But like, like when you play that fast, you're, you know, you're going to, you know, open yourself up to, to uh, turnovers and it just hasn't been happening. So let's see his last five games. I'm not finding it here, but yeah, no, no turnover. His, last, again his last two is 32 to 0. Yeah. Just is that turnovers. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no turnovers tonight again. I mean, right. So his last five games total, he has five turnovers. And let's see if I can find the number of assists. His last. Oh wait a minute, that's not him. That's Miles Turner. I did this the other day. I hit the wrong. <laughs> I hit the wrong thing, and I was like, "Hey, uh, Andrew Wiggins is averaging six points." And I was like, "Oh, actually, that's uh, Kevin Kevon Looney." Uh, his last five games, he has. I got it. He has uh, six turnovers his last five games, and he has, um, let's see, you're going to hear me do some math here, 32, 42, 55, 63 assists to six turnovers in the last five games for him. And he has shot almost 60% in those games as well, a little bit under 60%. And he, he shoots threes. You know, he's, he's not, you know, he's not shooting just layups. So he is red hot right now. And uh, the Pacers are somebody that you may want to check out maybe December 7th and December 9th. Actually, I think the quarterfinals are televised on national TV too, Bobby. So if he gets there, like, there you go. I think it's December third or fourth. I think he might get it even sooner. So um, all right. Thanks for listening to the Collective Podcast. Thank you to Jackson, our producer, and our new uh, producer here joining us at ESPN and also joining us on the pod tonight, Adrian. Welcome, Adrian, to the Hoop Collective family. Thank you to Bobby. Thank you to Jamal. We'll be talking to you again on Friday with the Tims and look forward to uh, speaking to you then.